So I noticed that uh, there seems to be a little correlation between the amount of study I put into a part of the Bible and my, my kind of enjoyment of it. It starts to climb my roster of favorite parts and books and verses of the Bible. So Daniel is what I've been in a lot recently. Uh, if you've been here on Tuesday nights, Mark actually gets to that top list too because we've been going really in detail on it on Tuesday, Tuesday nights. But apart from our Tuesday night study, I've been studying Daniel on my own. Come to really enjoy Daniel. There's these great stories in there. There's some, you ever, ever someone ever tell you a story and you're like, I, there has to be more. I want to hear the more of this. I want to know the background of the story. In fact, there's, for every movie or book, there's a whole crowd and group of people that study the background of that book or the characters in the book. Even in these fake universes that are created, these fictional characters, we want to know the backstory of these characters. We want to know the backstory of what's going on in this fictional city, you know, that in so many years ago. Daniel, I feel like, is a really small book that could be a lot bigger. I, I really want it to be a lot bigger because we get these amazing stories of these men who refused, who refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, statue and are threatened with being thrown into a fiery furnace. And then the, the king comes back at them and says, if you don't bow down, you're going in that furnace. And he says, well, we're not going in that furnace. And then he heats it up, and they, and they rebuttal back. They're like, well, regardless of if you heat that up or not, or we die, one of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to die, or our God, who is powerful enough to save us, will. Either way, our resolve is the same. We're going in one way or another, if your resolve is the same. So we threw them in. And I'm like, whoa, what? I remember a few years ago, I told, I told <laughs> this is a joke. It shouldn't be taken too seriously. Remember Carson was a kid. Um, so I threatened Carson. I said, Carson, I'm going to punch you. Uh, who do you worship? And he said, uh, he said, Jesus. Oh, good job, Carson. Carson, I'm going to really punch you this time. And I started to say, okay, 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 okay. I'm like, what, what? He gave in that quick because he knew I'd probably actually punch him. Um, yeah, and I wasn't joking. But these guys didn't back down. And, of course, when you're reading the stories of the Bible, you kind of put yourself into the story. You wonder, what would I have done? Would I have allowed myself to be thrown in as these as the king's servants are heating up the flames and they're about to throw you in, you see the guys who threw you in die because of how hot it is. Uh, I don't know. I might be second-guessing these things. These guys are amazing to me. They're, they're outstanding. And I'm wondering why there's so few chapters of this book of Daniel. So we're going to dive in. If you want, you guys turn to Daniel 1. We're going to stay around there. Um, before we jump into Daniel 1, though, We're going to talk about us for a minute. You know, we are God's people. We are God's children. As a, as a Christ follower, we're commissioned with a couple things, but when we refer to the Great Commission, what our, our command to do in this world is, is to make disciples, baptize, and preach the gospel. That's what we are to be doing. That is our work on this earth. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And this sometimes can be really difficult and challenging for us to do and accomplish. And the reason it's difficult and challenging is because we're not always approaching people that are, are giddy and wide-eyed about hearing the gospel, or giddy and wide-eyed about hearing this God, about this God that you serve, right? Like I always think about it, it's like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to, you know, at a concert, people pay hundreds of dollars to be there, you know? And so they're giddy and wide-eyed to see and hear whatever the artist has to say. When it comes to us preaching the gospel or presenting the good news or loving on our neighbor, it's not always met with the same enthusiasm as it should be. Because we know that this is, this is a gem. This is everything. And so the reason why Daniel draws my eye is because we live in a world that is completely opposed in every way to the ways of God. And these four exiles, Daniel, um, and then I always forget their Hebrew names, but I have them down, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, these four exiles, they live in a kingdom completely opposed to their own, but somehow find a way to thrive. They somehow find a way to draw my eye to the fact that they are great men of faith, but they live in a kingdom completely opposed to their faith. And so I can't help, as I'm reading this, wondering, what, what can I be taking from these men's lives, how they lived, and even just this short book to understand and to apply to my life. There has to be something there, so we're going to talk about this. You know, we are citizens of God's kingdom, commissioned to do his work in this world, a world that doesn't obey his rules, doesn't obey, obey him, a kingdom that mocks and hates us. In the parable of the ten minas, which I've gone over before, and Luke 19, Jesus explains just this. His, uh, his disciples are kind of battling with this idea of what is it going to look like when this guy who we call Christ, we call Savior, we call Messiah, what is it going to look like when he finally wins, when he comes up and he rescues us? And Jesus, he starts to explain it. He says, well, what's actually going to happen is I'm going to leave for a bit, and you're going to do my work here in this kingdom. You're going to be citizens of God's kingdom, working in a world around a people that is completely opposed to you and to me. And in there, he gives us um, guidelines on how to get this work done. And we know that when Christ comes back, he expects work done. He expects something done. He, expect, he expects more souls. He expects, um, that he expects us to have reached more people. He says, to the ends of the earth, and he meant it. He says, go a living, live according to God's kingdom. Live as a citizen of God's kingdom in every way. And do God's work in a world that is completely opposed in every way to God's kingdom. It's almost like this impossible thing, right? Because typically when we go do work, when I, uh, when I go do work, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make the work as easy as possible for me to do. I prep all the surroundings I make sure that, you know, if I'm doing some sort of project in here, no one else is here. I'm making sure that I have all the materials I need. I'm making sure that every, everything that would resist my work is out of here. Does that make sense? Out of my workplace. I just want to focus on my work. 
And God's saying, that's not how it's going to be. Because, in fact, you're going to have every resistor around you all of the time. And you're saying, this is impossible. And you say, well, we all know about impossible when it comes to God, right? We all know how that works. So we're going to talk about that more. But how do we, how do we live according to God's rules, God's way of doing life? How do we live according to him in another kingdom? And I think about this, I think about when I'm young, when I was younger, and I would go to my dad's house. Of course, my dad didn't live with us. And so one or two weekends a month, we would go to my dad's house. And going to my dad's house was amazing because the rules were completely different than my mom's house. I mean, it, in almost, it was almost as if he did it on purpose, which now thinking he might have. He'd probably, that might have been the that might have been the thing actually, and so uh, I would go there and it was you know stay up as late as you want, the TVs right there, the limits on what I could watch were were way lower you know I could watch almost anything you know I wasn't allowed to watch wrestling at my mom's house dad's house I was allowed to watch wrestling and I know why because I get all pumped up and I don't have any brothers so I'd start wrestling my sisters, <laughs> didn't work out too well they got hurt a lot sometimes they team up on me and I wasn't as big as I thought. And it didn't work out for me either. You know, I could go hang out with my friends whenever and stay up late. And, and instead of, this is what you're going to eat, my dad would say, what do you want to eat? Say, what do you mean? Well, this is McDonald's like two blocks away. That's what we're eating the whole time we're here is McDonald's. And we're getting ice cream. And we're getting candy and all of this stuff pumped up on sugar for a whole weekend. That's what it was like. But there was a catch. The catch was my mom, of course, knew that the rules were completely different. And she said... I don't care what your dad's rules are. I still expect you to follow mine. What, Mom? That's such a bummer. What do you mean? You're not even going to be around. Nope. Even though you're at your dad's house, I still expect you to follow my rules. And then she, and then she followed up with this. And if you don't, you'll still receive my discipline. Wait, what? So not only am I not going to be home for two days, but whatever I do at dad's house, in dad's house, he's saying it's fine. You are telling me that I'm still going to be judged according to your rules. You're still going to put me under your thumb. She said, smart boy, that's exactly, the, that's exactly right. That's exactly what's going to happen. And that is what happened. And sometimes my sisters would try to like, you know, like, okay, we're going to do this. We're not going to tell mom, you know, and somehow it would always get back to her, you know. So we do the same. But it's the same here. We're in, another, we're in another kingdom. We're in a world that, does, that disregards God's rules and authority altogether. We live around people that just don't care. They're saying, well, you can go do that. I don't, I don't care if you do that. That's fine. God's saying, whoa, I'm completely opposed to that. God's saying, and one day I'm going to come back, and you're actually, I'm actually going to look at everything you did, and you're going to be judged according to my rules and my way of doing things. And so how, how are we supposed to navigate this little conundrum that we're stuck in? I think Daniel and these three exiles provide the perfect example of how we as citizens of God's kingdom effectively, successfully live and work in another kingdom in such a way that we thrive with the Holy Spirit inside of us, whose fruits abound and get work done. You know, we're supposed to be people who live according to the Spirit, and those fruits are supposed to blossom and show. I want those fruits to abound. There's some 
cheese, there's some truth in, in what's in Daniel. So we're going to uh, read Daniel 1 through 8, this first little segment of, of Daniel. You can follow along on the screen. Mike's going to throw it up there. If you have your Bible, open it up. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, how do you say that, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Kind of reminds us that Babylon is not a place of our God. It is a place completely opposed to our God. They have, their, they have other lowercase g gods. Then the king compared as, uh, commanded Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, lear understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Not only is he completely opposed, but now he wants to integrate some of the best of, of the royal family, kind of like a... a almost like a backhand to Jerusalem. I'm going to take some of the noble family and I'm going to integrate them. I'm going to make them Chaldeans now. I'm going to make them Babylonians now. I'm going to force their identity out of them. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated all three years. and At the end of that time, they were to, uh, to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names, renamed them. Daniel was to be called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was to be called Shadrach. Mishael was to be called Meshach. And Azariah was to be called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. The verse we're focusing on is that last one. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. That word defile, and in other uh, translations, uses a slightly different word, but they all mean the same thing. To desecrate, to profane, to spoil, to dirty something that is pure. Daniel saw himself a certain way. I believe that, that, that Daniel saw himself as a child of God, from the nation of the God of Israel. And he identified with that. And he, de he decided that if I eat this food, it's going to defile me. I am going to be dirty. I'm going to be unpure in this moment. And sometimes we get hung up like, oh, it's just food. But to Daniel, this would have either been like, if the, the king's portion would have been food that was either food, meat that was uh, sacrificed, uh, or uh, offered as an offering to the Chaldean gods. And so it would have been impure. Or it would have been um, a pork or another meat that the Israelites were commanded not to eat. Remember, the Israelites, they are kind of distinguished by their meats in a way. What they can and cannot eat kind of sets them apart from the rest of the world. They have these limitations. Uh, and Daniel and his friends resolved 
they held the conviction that partaking in the meat would defile them, would be sinful, wasn't correct or right for them as God followers. This, was, this word resolve, it's a, it's a, it's a firm standing. I, it's this weird picture that I get in my head. You know, I think of roots going down, but I think as if, okay, I'm standing here, but if David were to come up and push me, he could. So I think of myself as like sinking into this foundation. So even if you want to push me, well, it's going to hurt a ton, but I'm not going to move. I've resolved myself in this position. I'm rooting myself here. I am unmovable. So he made the decision that if I eat this meat, I am going to be defiling myself, and I'm resolving not to do that. I am planting myself. I, I am holding a firm, I have a firm conviction that eating that meat, that participating in this, is going to defile me, is going to make me not pure, is not going to meet up with the standard of being a child of God. And this applies uh, across, uh, across the spectrum of our life. There are activities that we do not participate in. There's uh, shows and, and movies that we don't, don't do. We have limitations as far as uh, what we drink and, and don't drink and how much of it we drink. There's, and the jokes we participate in and um, how we talk about people when they're not in the room. We resolve to be children of God no matter where we are. Remember, they're not in their, their home nation. They're in a different nation. And it, it's not clear how much contact they had with uh, people of their nation. And they're in a place where they, th this king is saying, no, it's okay. I'm giving you permission. He says, no, you don't understand. This is who I am. I'm a child of God. This is going to be a defiling act. This is an impure act. This is sin. This is not clean. This is something I don't participate in, and I'm resolving not to be a part of it. So the question is, how do, how do we live in a world that's completely opposed to the way that God operates, to the way that God has commanded us to live? We have to have a resolve not to defile ourselves. We need to be rooted in who we are and unmovable in that fact. I am a child of God. I'm a citizen of his kingdom. This is how I act. This is how I live. This is how I interact with people, and I resolve to not move from that position. I am unshakable in this. So we too must live this lives of conviction to not defile ourselves with the, what the world deems right and proper. Because what's funny about what the world deems right and proper, as we know, is that definition keeps changing, like almost daily, of what's what's good and not good. This is why the Lord didn't initially intend for us to decide the difference between right and wrong and what it was, because he knew that we would never make up our minds. It would move all over the place, and more likely not in the right direction. And so we ask ourselves, what does God say about this thing? And what is the Spirit directing me to refrain from or participate in? It's a funny thing that, you know, as I'm talking with students and stuff, most of the time the question never is, well, is this a right thing to do or a wrong thing to do? 
most of the time we have a pretty good understanding of right and wrong as believers because the Spirit's directing us in that. It's almost as if he stops us. And James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him this is sin. And Daniel knew, looking at that meat, looking at the king's portion, which may have either been pork or some other meat they couldn't eat, or it may have come right, right from um, a sacrifice to their god, to the Chaldean gods. He said, I, I can't do that. I know this is wrong. So I resolved not to participate in it. I believe this is the desire of the Lord, is that we become a body that resolves not to defile ourselves. That we are firm in, in our unmoving nature when it comes to the difference of right and wrong, when it comes to making ourselves impure. Does this make sense? I feel like sometimes I'm, with this message I'm speaking directly to our students. Because, I mean, all you're looking, in high school when you go and tell someone, when you go tell your friend in high school, hey, this is what happened today. With, with my parents, almost every time a high school friend will agree with you that whatever you did was right, right? <laughs> I don't think I, I mean, it's, it happens, but I, when I was in high school, I never did something and had a friend in high school tell me that I did the wrong thing. I mean, according to all my friends in high school, I was the perfect one, right? It's just like I never did anything wrong. They always affirmed what I did. But we as a body, and when I say a body, is we as a collective are saying, we are part of Christ's body. We have a specific command. We have a call. We have a purpose. And we are resolving together not to defile ourselves. And we're going to hold each other accountable to that standard. And when I mean that as a body, I'm saying we're going to pray for one another daily. We're going to help one another through the struggle. I love that these that these four exiles were together in this. We are going to say, well, look, we are going into a world that is opposed to the work that we have set before us, but it's work that we have to do. And so we are going to help one another out as a body. When my leg isn't working great, I shift my weight to my other leg, and it takes the load for a minute, right? It's like I was telling uh, a worker this week, you know, um, sometimes you get guys in that they don't know how to move furniture and everything, and that's, and that's fine. Um, and you kind of teach them how to move furniture and how to work and that kind of thing. But I, I like telling the stories of when I played softball and I broke my wrist and I had a cast on. But still I had work to do, right? And so they're like, well, how'd you do all this work with a cast? I was like, well, I still had my other arm. I still was able to lift stuff. I just figured it out. They took, they took the weight, right? So we as a body, we help, we help each other go through the struggle. We help each other take the weight. We shift the weight. See, our resolve is guided by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will no longer gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. Spirit's opposed to flesh. The flesh is opposed to the spirit. The flesh is constantly trying 
to get you to try to, to get you not to walk by the Spirit, right? In Romans 8 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We, as children of God, are led by the Spirit. Right? And it's the Spirit that, that not only does two things, and they almost seem uh, opposite each other, but anchors us and is also the thing that directs us. The Holy Spirit directs us and says, okay, this is where you stop. That's the line you don't go past it. Anchors us down so we know where, where not to go. But the Holy Spirit also tells us where to go. That's why when I get into a moment of confusion in my life, I always... I, I have to get in the habit of always running to the Lord because I know there shouldn't be a confusion here because I'm one that's directed by the Spirit. I have both an anchor and a, I don't know, a compass. I know where I'm going. I know where to stop. I know where not to go, and I know where to go. I'm anchored, and I'm directed by the Spirit. That's who we are. A resolve to not defile ourselves, to live according to God's will as citizens of his kingdom, anchors us and guides us. Jesus makes a, a, a reference to this when he's talking about those that build their, build their house. And he says, when you hear my words and build your, and do that, when you hear my words and you live according to my words, you're like the one who builds his house on a strong foundation, secure, good. As old as this building is, pretty hard foundation, right? And he says, as, as strong as those winds may be, through the test of time, no matter what the storm or obstacle is, you're anchored when you live according to me. And we look around and we see people, it's like one minute they're over here and one minute they're over there and then the next day they're dealing with this and, and they're constantly, it's almost like they're being thrown about. It's like they build something up and it's being crushed down. They build another thing up and it's being crushed down. And it's like, that's not how we live. Because we have a secure and strong foundation. I think that the decision for these men, remember, they're in another kingdom. They're, they're in... They're in the realm of Nebuchadnezzar. And they're saying, yeah, we're not going to do that. And they're saying, wait, wait a second. You're, this food is given to you by the king. You eat what he gives you. Say, no, 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 no we're not going to do that. The world, we live in resol uh, the world we live in resolves and stands on nothing. From one year to the next, definitions and standards of right and wrong change. But we know where we stand, regardless of whose house or kingdom or world we're in. It doesn't matter. The time, the location, and the people we're surrounded with can change, but our resolve to not defile ourselves does not. Correct? Amen? This is a message directed at high schoolers. Man. <laughs> I know. Are you taking a nap over there? Huh? Okay, yeah, they're awake. Don't worry, I've remembered it. It's going to... I'll use it. Okay. 
This is not always an easy task. We know this. And I know that's going through the high schooler's mind. Well, Stephen, you just don't understand my school. Like, like not, I think, I think uh, students, and this, I mean, I'm not very old, so I, don't, I haven't seen generation and generation and generation. It's almost like this generation is, is more bold and loud, loud than any before. You know, maybe, maybe just because they're social media and they're used to just spilling everything out there. Like, you don't know my friends. They just say it. They don't care. And they're like, well, you should just say it, too. You should just live like you don't care what's going on with them. This isn't always easy. We're going to read Daniel 8 through 9, 8 and 9. So, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. I love this little move that Daniel does there. Daniel, Daniel said, listen, there's a temptation in front of me. I'm going to ask that this temptation be removed from me. I don't want to partake in this. I'm going to ask that it be removed. I think that if the chief of the eunuch said no, Daniel would have a lot harder time doing this. But I think his resolve would be the same. I think he would sit there and just not eat it. A little, a hunger strike. Of course, it'd be difficult. But he said, okay, my next move is to remove the temptation. That's my next move. So he asked the chief, the eunuchs, can, I, can you remove this from me so that I will not defile myself? And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief, the eunuchs. This must have been a really tough decision for the chief to make if it took the God, God's favor and compassion to move this man's heart. I think otherwise he would have said, no, absolutely not. But it took the Lord intervening for, uh, for him to say and give in and say, yeah, I'll do that. It required God's favor, favor. In all areas where God goes before us, we give him glory and him praise, for it is he that did the work. Daniel could say, well, I asked, you know, so I'm the one that gets the glory here, right? I, I'm the one who asked. I had the idea. Daniel's re requested that the temptation be removed from his sight. Now imagine the confusion of the Babylonians. They're thinking, wait a second, these people have been taken from their, from their land. Their names have been changed. Now they're being trained to serve the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, but they're still holding on to all of their odd beliefs. Like, you're hundreds of miles away from your home. We destroyed it. Well, actually, I don't think they destroyed it in this one. Did they, Mike? Anybody know? Did they destroy it? No, I think they left. Jer I think they left him. They looted it, and I think they left Jeroboam there, as, as kind of a figurehead as, to operate under the king. Anyways, that was a side note. They say, wait, but why are these guys still holding on to these beliefs? They're they're not even they're not even there yet. I can imagine as a student being asked, like, dude, you're not in church, man. You don't have to like act this way here. You know, you're around us buds. You know. This is how we act. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter where I am. I can imagine the confusion on the Babylonians' faces. So that was my first point of three. We resolve not to defile ourselves. We are going to be a people who stand firm and are planted as children of God. And we're not going to move from that. 
and other people want to move us from that. But these three, this is my second point, these three held on to their true identity, not their Babylonian one. Because there is a, a fact of the matter was that the Babylonians were actually trying to change their identity, to strip them of who they thought they were. But we need to hold on to our identity of who we are as God's children. Daniel 1, 6 through 7. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Wait a second, we, ju we just heard about who they are. I'm Daniel, meaning God is my judge. I'm Hananiah, the grace of God. Mishael, he that is the strong God. And Azariah, the Lord is my help. So no, we're going to change those names. Now it'll be Belteshazzar. Bel will protect me. What? Shadrach, inspired of a coup. I'm sure there's a different way to say these. Meshach, meaning belonging to a coup. And Abednego, servant of Nego. They're, they're stripping away their identity as God's people. You have a new identity now. You serve a new God now. Whatever you knew in the past, strip away. You will now be indoctrinated into our culture, our way of doing things. This name changing was a, a way of demonstrating authority over them. I am the Babylonian king. And I am the chief of the eunuchs. I put my thumb on you. You see my authority? I can even change your name. I will change who you are. I am free to shape you how I will. The king would have, had, the king would have wanted to shape their identity. And he, wanted to have, he wanted to change how they thought of themselves and how others thought of them. So it would have been, well, my name's changed. This is who I am now. And then others hearing that name being used would have now associated the meaning of that name to them, completely changing their identity, or at least attempting to. But we know that these, these uh, four exiles, they held on to their true identity, who they were in God, who they were as children of God, who they were coming from the nation of Israel. You may have removed us from our kingdom, you may have surrounded us with other people that don't think like us, but we know who we are and we'll live according to that identity. Change my name, teach me your language, show me your customs. You cannot change my identity no matter how hard you try. Know your identity as a follower of Christ, as a citizen of God's kingdom, and act accordingly. We live according to the leading of the Spirit, and we live in accordance with God's will. Because that's what our identity tells us we are, and who we are, and what we do. See, they could have lived by this new identity and said, well, I guess, you know, I serve a new God now. I belong to a new God now. I'm inspired by a new God now. I said, no, no, no. Change my name. You can try to put labels on who you think I am or who you want me to be, but that doesn't change the fact that I am still a child of God. Not only did they resolve not to defile themselves, they held on to the identity 
of being children of God. Romans 8 tells us that, For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in the fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You have the spirit. It doesn't matter where you are, who you interact with, or what they tell you. You are a child of God. And 1 Peter uh, 1 tells us, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, and we know this is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You are God's people. You are a people under a holy God. You are children of a holy God. You be holy. And do not waver from that. I want to do God's work in this world. I want, when he returns, for, I want to have an accounting of what he did through me. I want to be able to actually thrive here with the presence of God. I don't want to, to live according to a different identity because at the end of the day, that has nothing to show for it. I may have pleased the people that I was surrounded by. I may have put a smile on their face for a time. But it's not their smile. It's not their reaction. It's not, it's not their joy that I'm looking for. I'm looking for my God to be pleased with me. I'm looking for him to smile upon me. I want him to look at my resolve and know that I am standing firm as a child of God. Constantly labels and false identities are being put on us. We know who we are and what we are here to do. They say that we, as children of God, they try to label us all sorts of different things. They say we're hateful people, but we know that we are commissioned to love, and we do love, regardless of what they say we are. They say we are intolerant, but we still hold no limitations on who we help and who we minister to. The label may be like, okay, you say we don't care about this segment of people, the, the ignorant person, the, the, the flesh says, fine, let's see how those people do without my help then. And then you'll see the difference. But we don't do that. We help with no limitations. We know who we are, and we live accordingly, regardless of who's around us and what they're saying. We live with a firm resolve. This is what is so, just stands out so much about these men and other men and women throughout the Bible, is that they are just so firm in their resolve not to be defiled and not to change their identity, and they hold true to it. I look at this, these men and what they did and see that they, no matter what, held, uh, no matter what, held on to their identity as God's children throughout all. And I believe it actually helped their resolve not to defile themselves holding on to their identity as children of God, fueled their resolve. We be a people that hold on to our identity, no matter where we are, who we're interacting with, who they say we are, 
we know that we've given the fi final word to our God, to Jesus. Amen? And at the end of this, I did mention that, you know, it, Daniel could stand there and he could say, look at what I did. I resolved not to defile myself. Look at what I did. I got this food removed from in front of me so that I wouldn't have to. And then later on, the, uh, um, the other three could say, look, look at what we did. We stood firm and we, and we got thrown into the fire and we came out the other side. And Daniel, when, when uh, charges are brought against him because a new decree went out that you couldn't worship or pray to his God, he said, look, I still held firm. But we give all the glory to God because it is God who works through us. God was their source and God gave them the fill in the blank. God gave me the authority in this moment. God gave me the nerve in this moment. God gave me the ability to just stand strong in my identity. God gave me favor with these people. It's amazing how many people, and, and I don't want to say this wrong, but how many people are, um, would be opposed to what we believe but enjoy the salt mine so much for what we do in the community, right? And I believe that can't be anything than God gave us favor. God showed them X. God is working for us, through us, on our behalf all the time. Later on in Daniel uh, 1, 17 through 21 says this, as, these, uh, as for these four youths, God gave them learning, skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. I skipped this part, but uh, the chief of the eunuchs said, okay, I'll give you, uh, Daniel works out a deal with them. And for 10 days, Daniel and his other three exiles are given um, only vegetables and water to eat. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. There have been many more other people brought into this school of Babylonian and Chaldean learning. But the king found none other like these. They stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he found that ten them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, which is a long time, probably about like 70 years or something like that. They're better than all of the others, but it was because of the Lord. Every success they had, every achievement they accomplished, it was the Lord. God gave them learning. God gave them understanding. God gave them skill and wisdom. And it's a crazy to think this, that, that at the end of the day, the, the empires that they were a part of actually benefited from them being there. Like the Babylonian king actually benefited from these four holding on to their identity as children of God. This, this world may not realize it, but us holding on to our identity 
no matter what resistance we get, is a benefit to everyone we're around. That's why I think that the salt mine has become such a, uh, a, a vibrant help and, and charity, but um, vibrant beacon in this community. It has become such a, almost like a staple. Like what would happen if the salt mine left type of thing. The Lord goes before us, but the world is always better when God's children are on the scene. Always better. But what happens when those children decide to reject their identity, decide to not hold firm to their resolve, or decide that it was them that were doing it all along and give no glory to our God. They could have boasted about their abilities. They could have even done it to, uh, uh, to mock their brethren back home. You know, We know it was the Lord that gave uh, Israel into the hand of the Babylonian king. Because they said, listen, we're, all of our ancestors, look how they failed. But we, even though we're in another kingdom, we succeeded. No, they didn't do that. They gave all glory to the Lord. All the glory has to be given to God, the one who goes before them, the one who gives them favor, the one who builds their knowledge and makes them prime servants to the king. God not only prepares you for the work, but he gives you himself to fulfill it. It, it removes all boasting. You know, at... Um, if you walk into our, our thrift store, you'll see on the furniture side that we're overflowing. And during the rainy season, sometimes it can be really difficult to fit everything inside. And over this season especially, the Lord has, has shown me, see how I work through you to get even the simplest task of fitting furniture in? You know? It's such a simple, it's a, it's a simple task. It's almost like, why would the Lord even want to help in that? You know, that seems too small. But at the end of the day, I know I walk in and I ask the Lord, Lord, give me insight, give me wisdom, give me, let me, help me to see what I'm not seeing here. Because I know without you I can't get it done. And sometimes I even have to step back and wonder, maybe this isn't getting done because I'm trying to do it myself. The events in Daniel 1 set the stage for the next couple of chapters in the book. We look at uh, these three and the fiery furnace. Well, their resolve there, we learn about in Daniel 1. If you want to know, like, you're like, man, Daniel 2, 3, 4, these are amazing. These stories are awesome. It all begins in Daniel 1. When they first decided to resolve not to defile themselves. So I'm going to close here in a minute. But my prayer this morning is that the Lord helps us to be those same men and women, people of Christ, that choose not to defile ourselves. To, to operate in a world that is completely opposed to his ways, but we still live according to the kingdom of God. By planting ourselves firm in our identity and using... And, and allowing God to work through us and giving him the glory, right? And that's what we want to do. Figured it out. 
And in the morning, uh, Brittany grabs a cup of coffee. Luke even this morning asked for coffee, and I went and grabbed a monster. Because I needed a little pep. This, the past couple days, my sleeping schedule has been way off. And I said, this is what I need to help me this morning. Stay vibrant and energy and to get the job done. But we know that this only has so far to go. And eventually I'm going to have to reach for another. And then eventually it stops working as well as it once did. But we need to be a people that always reach for God for a hand up. When we need a pep, when we need help, we're saying, Lord, I just, I, there, I, there's something going on here. I can't do it alone. We call on our God. Amen? Amen? So, Father, I thank you for the word that you gave us this morning. And I ask, Father, that you help us to be a people that resolves to hold on to our identity as children of God and a people who reaches for you in all matters of life. Because, Father, we see a world all around us that is desperate for saving, that is desperate for truth and for life and for light. And we know it is only you, by your power and your presence, that is going to make any difference. So, Lord, we want to be a people that chases after you. We want to be a people that resolve not to defile ourselves and we resolve to stand firm in our identity as your children. Encourage us this morning, Lord. Inspire us. Move us. Fill us. And I ask you that this week you go before us. Give us favor. Give us understanding. Give us knowledge and wisdom in all matters that we may be a true benefit to this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.